Well, at the Men and Machine Night uh, last year, there was uh, lots of cars there. There was one particular car that grabbed my attention. It was one that the TAFE uh, had actually done up. Uh, originally, this car was just a four-cylinder buzz box. So, you know, think of something slightly more powerful than your lawnmower, but not as much fun, okay? The boys at TAFE, though, had completely transformed it. And so they took out the four-cylinder piddly engine and they replaced it with this whopping V8 supercharged monster. Uh, The new engine was so big, they had to physically alter the bonnet in order to fit it in. And when they fired it up, the noise was an assault on your eardrums. Uh, By taking out the old engine and putting in a new one, they had completely transformed the car. It was out with the old, in with the new. This idea of out with the old and in with the new is at the heart of our chapters this morning. We're up to Matthew 24 and 25, and chapter 24 starts with Jesus and his disciples near the temple in Jerusalem, and Jesus says that it's time for the temple to go and for him to come. It's out with the old, temple's got to go, and in with the new. It's time for Jesus to come. So this morning is all about just how significant Jesus is, that he replaces the temple. He is that big. He is that important. So let's have a look. Chapter 24, verse 1. Uh, The disciples are marvelling at just how wonderful the temple looks, and Jesus replies by saying that it is about to be utterly destroyed. Chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, we have never had the temple, uh, the Old Testament temple. We're not Jews. And so it is hard for us to appreciate just how shocking it would have been to hear Jesus say that the temple is going to be demolished. For 1,400 years, the temple or the tabernacle before it, it was the centerpiece of Israel. The temple was where God lived among the Israelites. If they wanted to meet God, they went to the temple. If they wanted their sins forgiven, they went to the temple. The temple represented their relationship with God. And so without the temple, how could God come near to Israel? And how could Israel come near to God? To lose the temple would be to lose access to God. To lose the temple would mean no more of the presence of God. For the temple to be destroyed would mean Israel being cut off from God. And on this day, Jesus is telling his disciples, that's exactly what's going to happen. This is a big bombshell for him to drop. It's a colossal announcement. And we got hints of this kind of thing last week. If you can remember chapters 21 and 23, the religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they got massive serves from Jesus. The kingdom of God is going to be taken away from them and given to others. This week, it's the final nail in the coffin. The temple itself will be destroyed. This is huge. Now, understandably, the disciples want to know more. And in particular, they want to know when it'll happen 
and what the signs will be that it's about to go down. So look at it there in verse 3. Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, they've got two questions there and it pays to look at them carefully. Jesus has just said that the temple will be destroyed. And so the disciples ask, one, when will it happen? And two, what will be the sign of your coming? See, the disciples understand that this is a case of out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, when will the temple be destroyed? And in with the new, what will be the sign of your coming? When Jesus comes, he'll replace the temple. His coming will bring an end to the temple. Out with the old, in with the new. And the disciples want to know, when is this going to happen? And what will be the signs that it's about to happen? And for the rest of the chapter, Jesus then answers those two questions. He starts with the signs. The signs that the temple will be destroyed. The signs that Jesus is coming in power. What will be the signs that this is all about to happen? Turns out there'll be quite a few. So Jesus starts in verse 4. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. So what'll be the signs of the temple's destruction and the coming of Jesus in power? Well, there'll be false Christ, there'll be natural disasters, there'll be wars. From verse 9, we also learn that the disciples will be persecuted and it'll be terrible for all of God's people. So verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So before the destruction of the temple, the the followers of Jesus, they'll be hunted, they'll be killed. And so Jesus urges his disciples to flee from Jerusalem before it happens. Verse 15, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. You see, at the destruction of the temple, Jesus says life will become unbearably awful. And so Jesus warns his disciples, get out of there before it happens. Flee to the mountains. Don't go back for anything. Just get out of there. When it comes time for the temple to go and for Jesus to come, it's going to be traumatic. Now, when something really big is going down, the Bible writers sometimes use what we call apocalyptic language. Nice big word. But apocalyptic language is simply this. It's where you use cosmic imagery to describe ordinary events. And you use this kind of imagery to emphasise that the ordinary events you're talking about 
are ultra significant. So here's an example of one that I've just made up. If I was to talk to you about the coming of an abundance of rain to break our drought, okay, that is an ordinary but really significant event for us. And so to emphasise how important it would be, I, I would say, when the drought breaks, stars will fall from the sky. The moon will turn to blood. Saturn's rings will fall away. Now, not literally, but it's just a way of saying that when the drought breaks, it's going to be a really big thing. Okay, Cosmic imagery to describe ordinary events. That's apocalyptic language. The Bible writers don't use it very often. They reserve this kind of language for describing really significant events. And Jesus uses it here to describe the destruction of the temple and his coming in power. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. It's as if creation itself will crack apart at the seams as Jesus comes in power and the temple is destroyed. And Jesus describes it this way because the temple being done away with is such a huge event. It's not just a demolition job. It's going to be the end of Israel as the exclusive people of God. It'll bring to an end the way that God has been relating to the world. It'll be the coming of the Son of Man. It'll be out with the old, the temple and Israel gone, and in with the new, the coming of Christ. This will be a massive moment in the history of the earth. Okay, there's the signs that it's all about to take place. False Christ, wars, natural disasters, persecution, distress. What about when it'll happen? Uh, That was the disciples' other question. When will the temple be destroyed and you come in power? Well, Jesus answers this question from verse 32. And essentially, he said to his disciples, it'll be soon, but no one knows exactly when. So we'll pick it up from verse 33. Verse 33. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Everything Jesus is talking about here with his disciples, he says, it'll happen in their generation. It'll happen soon. Some of the people that he was talking to will see it all happen with their own eyes. So I don't know if, as we've been reading this, you've been assuming that Jesus is talking about his second coming, even though he's answering questions about the temple being destroyed. But regardless, it can't be talking about his second coming because according to Jesus, everything he's talking about will happen in the disciples' generation. But exactly when it'll go down, back then, that was a mystery. Verse 36. Verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only God the Father knew when all this was 
happened. And, but when it goes down, Jesus goes on to say, it's going to be just like in the days of Noah before the flood. So from verse 37, Jesus says that in Noah's day, you remember the story, people were carrying on as if nothing was going to happen. And then all of a sudden the flood came and people died. Well, Jesus says it's going to be just like that when the temple's destroyed. People will be carrying on as if nothing's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, the distress and the trouble of what Jesus was talking about earlier, it will rain down on them and they'll be swept up in the torrent of destruction and die. And so Jesus warns his disciples, make sure you're ready. Before it happens, make sure you're ready so that when it does go down, you'll be prepared. Jesus illustrates this with the example of a thief coming to rob your house. Verse 42. Verse 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. See, you don't know when a thief will come. If you did, you would only have to be ready at the time of the coming of the thief because you would know in advance when he was coming. But you don't know when the thief will come and so you've got to be ready for him all the time. That's why we all locked the doors to our houses before we came to church this morning because we don't know if a robber's going to come while we're out. And so we're always prepared for the robber to come. We're always ready for him. We always lock our doors. And in the same way, Jesus told his disciples to always be ready. Verse 44. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. They didn't know when he would come. They didn't know when the temple would be destroyed. They didn't know when the times of great distress would fall upon them. And so they had to be ready all the time, ready to flee, ready to be continuing to serve Christ until he comes. Now, for the rest of chapter 24 and into chapter 25, Jesus keeps teaching his disciples and he tells them a number of parables about what it will mean for them to be ready, how important it is for them to be ready. We don't have time to look at them now. But as readers, we we should be wondering, how did this all go down? Did what Jesus say come true? Was the temple destroyed? Did Jesus come in power? Were the disciples ready? Did they keep serving Christ? Did they get out of Jerusalem in time? What happened? Well, as always, when you're reading your Bible and it raises questions, the best thing to do is just keep reading. Especially in these chapters where Jesus says it's all going to happen within a generation. So we know it's meant to happen very soon after Jesus said these things. And there's still three chapters of Matthew to go. Maybe it happens as we keep reading. And so as we finish reading Matthew with his last three chapters, we're looking for the temple to be destroyed and for Jesus to come in power. Does that happen in Matthew 26 to 28? Well, that's what we're looking at next week. So make sure you come back. All right, we're going to have a sneak peek. We'll have a sneak peek because Matthew, he wants us to know that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the temple has been destroyed and Jesus has come in power. It's happened. So come now down to chapter 27. Chapter 27. First, we'll see that by his death, Jesus has destroyed the temple. 
So in chapter 27, Jesus has been crucified. In verse 39, he's still alive, but he's hanging on the cross. And some of the people there insulted Jesus by mocking his previous claim that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. So chapter 27, verse 39. And we get the language of the destruction of the temple even as he's dying. Verse 39, chapter 27. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross if you're the son of God. See, Jesus had said that he would destroy the temple. And then three days later, he'd have it rebuilt. And that's because Jesus knew that in his death and in his resurrection, three days later, he would put an end to the temple because he knew that he was now the temple. He would be the, be the place where people would go to meet God. And in fact, at the moment of Jesus dying, God even tore up the temple physically. So come down now to verse 50. Verse 50, it's the moment Jesus dies and look at what happens to the temple. Verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Jesus dies and so God rips the temple up in two. It's gone. It's done away with. Now the bricks and the mortar might still be standing But with Christ dying for our sins, there's now no need for a temple anymore. There's no more need of priests or sacrifices. The temple has lost all relevance. If you want to come to God and have your sins forgiven, you don't go to the temple in Jerusalem anymore. You just go straight to Jesus Christ. And so with his death, the temple is done away with. That's why God ripped it up. Out with the old. But what about in with the new? What about the coming of Jesus in power? Well, Matthew wants us to know that that has already happened too. So turn back with me, chapter 26 now and verse 63. Uh, Jesus is on trial before the high priest. And Jesus tells him that from now on, he will see Jesus as the one who has come in power. And he deliberately uses the same language as what we've just read in chapter 24. Chapter 26, verse 63. Jesus on trial, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, if you've got a new NIV, Uh, you'll have noticed that instead of saying, in the future you'll see the Son of Man, it reads, from now on you'll see the Son of Man. And that's actually a better translation. That is what Jesus literally says, from now on. It's how many other translations put it. Jesus is on trial, he's eyeballing the high priest, and he tells him, from now on, you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of God in power. Jesus going to the cross is his coming in power. And in chapter 28, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus gathers his disciples, he teaches them one more time, and he starts with these famous words Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. By the end of his book, Matthew wants us to be crystal clear, Jesus has come in power. Now, there's things that Jesus said back in chapter 24 that didn't happen with his death and resurrection. So the physical destruction of the temple, the stones being ripped apart, the gospel being preached to the world, the disciples being persecuted and handed over to death. What about those things? You know, Jesus said that they would happen within a generation. And they did. After Jesus rises from the dead, the disciples then take the gospel to the world. They're persecuted. They're killed. And in AD 70, the Romans physically destroy the temple in Jerusalem in an unimaginable reign of terror. It all came true. And so in the end, what are we left with? What does Matthew want us to know about Jesus in all of this? He wants us to see the massive truth that it is out with the old and in with the new. That the temple, of all things, the temple has been done away with and in its place, Jesus has come. We are now living with Christ and without the temple because Christ now does what the temple used to do. In Christ, God comes near to us and in Christ, we come near to God. Being with God, relating to God, it's not restricted by place or race anymore, but in Christ, all peoples can come and be with God. Now, as we finish off Matthew next Sunday in chapters 26 to 28, we're going to see something of the details of what this means. But for now, here this morning, it's just the big picture. The Lord Jesus is where God meets with us. And where we meet with God, because the temple has gone out with the old and Jesus has come in with the new. And so if you want to get close to God, you don't need to go to the temple in Jerusalem, which is a really good thing because there's only one wall left. You don't need to become a Jew. You don't need to go to the Holy Land and visit the places where Jesus went. None of that will get you closer to God. Because we don't meet God in Judea or in Jerusalem or even in the temple anymore because the days of God relating to the world through the temple, they're gone. Now he relates to the world through his son. The Lord Jesus is now the meeting place between God and humanity. The cross of Christ is the bridge between God and man. The Lord Jesus brings us into the heavenly presence of God himself and we get to call him Dad, we come to church here on a Sunday morning and as we walk in, we greet each other with a smile, a a hello, a handshake. But with Christ, we come to God and we're embraced and we are held close. We are brought near to God to be with God and he never leaves us. He never lets go. With the old temple, you could only walk into some of the rooms because you had to always be held at arm's length just in case you got too close to God. And then once you'd done your business in the temple, you would physically walk out of the temple, away from the presence of God. 
But with the coming of Christ, God has come to us and he never leaves us. We are drawn near, forgiven, embraced and held. The destruction of God's temple couldn't be a better thing because it means that Christ must have come in power, in glory and with unsearchable riches. He has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son has arrived. He has come in glory. He has come in power. He is where we now meet with you. And so we thank you that in Christ you have made us your very own people. Father, thank you that we can't get closer to you because your Son has brought us to your very self. And Father, we pray that as his people, we would love him and trust him, adore him, honour him, Father, for all that he is and all that he has done for us. And so we thank and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.